Welcome back to Insert Coins. My name is Mike Englehart. This is episode two of season two. We're a podcast dedicated to the world of video games from the perspective of somebody who works in the industry being me. We're all about news, reviews, and today talking about the actual industry of game development. I'm happy to have Joel DeYoung on the show with me today, a person I've spent a lot of time working with over the course of my career. And we're here today to talk about games as a service, the ins and outs, the ups and downs, the values of failure, and a, an episode we shared years ago. Joel, welcome to the show. Uh, thanks, Mike. It's my pleasure. So as always, when we have guests on the show, I'd like to know a little bit about where you've come from historically. And I've, again, I work with Joel at Hothead for oh, nine, nine years, nine plus years. And uh, also uh, worked at the same company many, many moons ago, uh, Radical Entertainment, also here in Vancouver. But Joel, maybe just give everybody a little backtrack or journey down your career in video games and how your path has led you to where you are today. Sure thing. Yeah, I, uh, I was born at a very young age. Um, and then uh, I've, I've spent most of my career in video games. I actually, uh, after I came out to Vancouver to go to graduate school and did some, uh, did my graduate work in computer graphics and took the first job I got offered, which was um, rather uncharacteristically doing database programming and um, didn't find that too exciting and did that for about a year and a half and then had the opportunity to join a team at Radical. Um, and rather than working on a game team, we formed a new team to do um, research into some, some bleeding edge areas of, um, uh, we were doing research into a, a special technique for doing facial animation and modeling. And, and it, was, it was quite speculative on Radical's part because the, the technology wasn't really ready to go into the generation of games at that time, which was, uh, that was the PS2 and Xbox era. Mm -hmm. um, but we, we worked on the software and the technology to try to get it ready for the next generation. Um, and uh, that was fun. And it was kind of my intro a little bit to video games. We did that for about three years. And then um, that effort was gonna get shut down and I saw the writing on the wall. And then a couple of people in the company came and talked to me and asked if I wanted to join a game team. And they wanted me to be the lead programmer. And I thought that was a bit strange since I had never made a game before. Um, but the opportunity was to work on The um, Simpsons, which uh, I was a huge fan. And uh, so that was the, we ended up making Simpsons Road Rage, which was a ton of fun to work on. And uh, the big aspect of my inexperience though, was that I um, didn't realize how crazy it was to make a launch title for PS2 um, and Xbox with only 11 months to do it. And so that was a <laughs> lesson in really cramming and uh, put a lot of hours into getting that game out. Um, but it did lead into making the next Simpsons game at Radical, which was Simpsons Hit and Run. And uh, that was a ton of fun. And I was technical director on that game and then worked on some other titles at Radical. And then back in 2006 with a few people from Radical, we had the opportunity to to form uh, and found Hothead. And um, that was, uh, so I jumped at that and uh, we started that company and got rolling there. And so that was really like, do whatever's required in the early days when we were a startup, uh, chief cook and bottle washer and kind of led some of the first few games and uh, in terms of development and um, launched some games. And then we made a pretty big decision. I guess it was, it would have been 2010, 2011 when mobile games mm -hmm. were just getting going to, to I think looking back on it, it was probably the biggest decision we made at Hothead to strategically to transition fully to mobile when when really we had nobody really in the company had done much in mobile games. And uh, and so that was uh, when you and I started working together um, really directly and worked on the big one sports series. Yeah, and I think back then at the company, um, 
just to give people some some history as well the company had done primarily psn and xbla uh downloaded games right. and at the time it was what was very difficult was it was hard to to break through it was hard to get noticed it was hard to get featured on the relative stores for uh playstation and microsoft and you have this budding mobile market starting to grow and you could see the install base and smartphones and where everything was going the app store and and it was clear that there was just more opportunity over there so i remember it was a super scary transition because mm -hmm. to your point it's uncharted waters we had never you know these are it's a different market different games different platform we've all spent you know a decade or more making console games what the heck do we know about making mobile games? But um, it was obviously the right decision for the company because it's, I think, one of the main reasons why Hothead is still uh, around and kicking today. And yeah, it was definitely the right call. And, yeah. and and what we knew about mobile at that time was uh, the iPhone changed everything because up to that point, working in mobile games was really not a lot of fun because you had to work for these like feature phone and, and had to support all these different um, phone sets. And it was just difficult, right? And uh, not the best business arrangements is my understanding as well. But yeah. yeah, once the iPhone came out, it was all a different ball game, right? And we got over there just, it was just the, as the 99 cent games were kind of on their last legs, like free to play. We, we just kind of got in as that sort of six months after we got into it, I remember it had flip-flopped and it went mm -hmm. from a primarily paid market to a free to play market. And so we'd spent a little bit of time doing um, paid games, 99 cent games, you know, doing them for free. And then a um, big portion of this show today is to talk about our first real success on mobile. And that was with the inception of a series called um, Big Win Sports. And so to preface what we're gonna talk about here today, it was a lot of the ins and outs of running a live service. And Joel's gonna take us through a lot of the, the aspects that he had to endure, the ups and downs. I'll kind of set the table here with, uh, there's a very famous term that Joel actually came up with uh, at Hothead. We were working very hard on the first game called Big Win Soccer. And this series was, Again, it was our first real success. It was a game where you built a soccer team, you collected cards, not unlike opening you know, card packs today, kids still collect, or if you've played Ultimate Team uh, on consoles, a similar uh, concept in that sense. But the difference in our game was because the mobile audience was a lot more um, unsophisticated back then, you didn't play the game. What you did was you built a team and then you put your team up against other teams and watched the simulation play out, uh, connected with real players from around the world, and, and hopefully Hopefully build a team to win a bunch of different championships and events events and, and daily cups and things of that nature and we worked very hard we're also at a time where the company did not have a ton of money uh, left to stay positioned on top so we needed this game uh, to work and we needed it to work in a timely fashion and so there was a lot of pressure there was a lot of stress and there was a lot of expectation about getting this thing out. I think we even had to go and talk to our CEO to get delayed a little bit after Christmas because that was our original launch date, if I remember correctly. Mm -hmm. And so we work hard. I think we canceled Christmas on our team. Never, never an easy <laughs> choice to do, but uh, we had bigger fish to fry and big one soccer got done. We were ready to put it out. And when we put it out, what happened was all the best things you can imagine. We got featured by Apple. We got featured by Google. We were on the front of the App Store back then, which actually meant a lot more back in those days. 
and we were getting downloads from everywhere you could possibly imagine. So here's this idea that's finally come into fruition. It's been finished and it's actually hitting the way we want it to hit. However, the game fell over and we were unable to support the audience we had. And that was where this word soccer getting that Joel came up with uh, came from because essentially you're a company fighting for your, your life and you actually get everything to line up the way you want to with the product. And actually the, the audience size that's come to your game is just too big for what you're able to handle. Um, do you have any initial thoughts on what, what you remember the, the day all those yeah. people came and, and the feature hit and, and the game fell over? Yeah, it's pretty vivid. I mean, you know, this, it, worth pointing out, this was the first time where we, instead of just building the game as a software product that then goes on the store, people download it, and then it's on their phone and it runs on their phone. We're building something that runs as a service. So the, you build the client, which is the part that runs on the phone and has all the graphics on your screen. And then you build this, the code that runs on the server and the phone talks to the server. And um, and we, I'd never done that before. I'd never done that in video games. And, and really that's the way that's the way the web works. It's the way a lot of systems, it's the way services like Netflix and other and social networks, it's how they work. Um, I, I didn't have professional experience in that. Cause like I said, I'd spent most of my time building games that got burned on a disc. And so it was more like what we had done in the past. So I did have a sense that you know, we're going to have a certain amount of traffic, a certain number of people trying to play the game at the same time. And so we need to make sure the code's going to work. And if lots and lots of people come play it, we need to make sure we're prepared for that. So I, I think I had convinced myself that we had done what we call load testing, where you simulate a bunch of people coming to play it. Um, but it's clear we hadn't done that sufficiently. Um, I remember we were in soft launch, like we did release it in a couple of countries. The game worked. Um, people were playing it. People were even spending money. But then when we did the worldwide launch, and then of course, uh, you know, you don't know you're going to get those features, Apple, and they keep their, their cards close to their chest, right? So it was, I remember sitting at my desk and it was quite a, everybody was quite exuberant and happy. And I remember Robert who worked on the game with us and, and he was he was a key part of building the, the code with me and, and the rest of the team. He came over to my desk and he just tapped me on the shoulder. He said, I think you should come look at something on my screen. <laughs> you know, and that was the moment where it's like, yeah, this isn't, this totally isn't working. And it just, because on that first day, once you get featured, it's just like a, it's a hockey stick graph, right? It the, the traffic just goes through the roof. Yeah, just skyrocketed. Um, yeah, and and like literally, what whatever level of number of people you have, it literally can be a hundred times within an hour. And building, it turns out, building a system that's going to be resilient enough to handle that big a change in traffic in that short a period of time is is really hard. And we didn't know how hard it was until we learned the hard way. Um, and so that started a process of, that that lasted several weeks. I, to this day, I don't really. I didn't keep a diary, you know, I don't remember the exact time when we got it back, stood back up, but it was me and Robert and one other guy basically just living at the office and trying to triage and do what we could uh, in an emergency fashion to try to get the service stood back up. Um, and yeah, so and it, it, I just remember it was, yeah, it was a, a time of, of heavy of heavy stress. I'll say for, for those of you that are listening out there, if a game ever goes down on you and you're constantly refreshing it, whether it's a console game, a mobile game, it doesn't really matter. And if you're sitting there upset thinking, oh my goodness, and I can't speak company to company, but what I can tell you is this is um, at least those of us that, that you're listening to today, Joel and I, and I'm sure all developers are pretty much the same. When you have success on your hands, 
you want to get the game back up even more than the players want it back up because it's very rare that you have that many people lining up to play your product. So if you ever run into a game that's down, rest assured, there is a small group of people working very hard, eating <laughs> lots of pizza, drinking lots of Coke, whatever they need to get their blood sugar up to make sure that that game gets back up and running. So, I mean, we've all had that experience as gamers, but I think that's important to share because the stress level, uh, we were talking before the show and it's kind of it's it's kind of like what an ER is in a hospital. It's that type of tension um that can come up in a situation like that um so for today's show so that kind of sets the table so soccer geddon you get a sense of what we were dealing with um we're going to go through three different sections on the show today we're going to come back after this short break and we'll get into part one and part one we're going to talk about games as a service 101 and discuss sort of what it's like trying to run a live service and the challenges of responding to the traffic that uh, Joel was talking about. You're talking about how this traffic levels can change in the blink of an eye. Um, we'll also cover uh, a part talking about doing things right the first time. Of course, video games are constantly full of mounting pressure of getting things out in a timely fashion, deadlines, running a business. Uh, and there's an important factor here of doing things right the first time. And then we'll close out the show later on with uh, the values of failure and kind of what we both learned from going through that experience together. We'll jump into Games as a Service 101 right after this short break. Welcome back to Insert Coins. We have Joel DeYoung with us today. We're talking Soccer Geddon, the trials and tribulations of running games as a service and everything we learned from the experiences of Soccer Geddon. And now part one of the reason we have Joel on the show today is we're going to talk about games as a service 101. And again, from a high level, what it's like running one of these things and how do we actually respond to the different traffic that's there. Um, so Joel, in looking at this stuff, you know, what does it mean to have a server for your game service? Obviously it's something you need to make players connect and have something work online, but kind of define that for people out there listening if they're unaware of, of what it means to have a server when it comes to video games. Well, it's um, yeah, certainly if you want to connect with other players, if your game has any kind of multiplayer ability, then um, you need a server. If you want to have um, people be able to save their game up on on the internet so that they could change devices and then still have access to their game things that are very normal now um in pretty much all games um you need to have a server and so at that time as i was kind of alluding to in the intro i think i conceptualized it as well we used to just write the client that ran on the phone but now we're going to just also write the server code so it's just different parts of the product i, I remember when i even told the team of, of the rest of the programmers that like we were just trying to figure out how we were going to fit all the work into this compressed schedule that we had. And then I made I made a passing reference to the server code and the coders looked at me like, oh, what do you mean? There's server code as well? So, <laughs> like, so I think we were all coming to terms with like this was something different. But it was only after the fact that I actually realized how, how fundamental a shift this was for us mm -hmm. as a business. Because now once you have servers well they're they're running say on on some cloud service or maybe you host the servers yourself and they're in your closet or they're at some some server farm facility or whatever um they're on and they're on 24 hours a day so that implies a whole bunch of stuff you have to make sure that um you have enough to handle the traffic you're going to get 
but you don't want to be over provision so over provision that you're paying a lot of money for capacity you don't need so there's this concept of being elastic so that you can you can grow your capacity of servers and shrink it and that's what serve cloud services like that Amazon and Microsoft and Google run are really good at you can you can pretty much in a matter of seconds you can scale up and have more servers as your traffic grows but it takes some engineering to set that stuff up but it also means meant for us that the way we were running our business and thinking about you know monitoring what players were doing and and understanding what players needed um, and also just was everything working and i think it was a hard realization for us to know that well now we're on call 24 hours a day mm-hmm. somebody if something goes wrong even if it's three in the morning there's some people that are awake on the planet that are playing your game and you got to respond so we needed to plug into systems that allowed us to schedule on call rotations that uh allowed us to um have you know understand and automatically detect when certain things were happening that were bad um but not don't overreact and have too many false alarms because you don't want false alarms going off and then and then have systems that could text us um set off alarms on your phone phone you like there's there are s- s- services you can use out there that do that and so so we did that but and in the early days when of course soccer getting had just happened and the service still wasn't that stable it wasn't really a very fun time because we were getting woken up at three in the morning quite often um and in fact it's it's like i came up with that term soccer getting and people have the name is stuck and people like it and one of the guys at work um he, he made this this photoshop picture of like a soccer ball crashing into the earth it was like it's pretty <laughs> funny. um and so that's cool but like i and and robert and some of the people that i don't know how you feel about this but they were really close to it like we look back at that time and it was it, it was a pretty upsetting period i mean it was it was very difficult to go through um and, yeah, I mean, and for, you know, for me like quickly it's it's yeah um I, mean, I guess upsetting you know you weren't upset at anybody i think you're upset at the fact that um when what we wanted to happen actually happened and then we weren't allowed to entertain that success right away it it's like it that that's the hard part i guess it, i'm trying to think of the right analogy can't really think of one but it wasn't like you weren't upset at the team or you weren't upset at you know you guys working hard in the back it was just more it was one of those you know and, and later we'll talk about lessons but um sometimes lessons get learned the hard way i mean luckily we came out of that situation and you know the company is still around and kicking today but i think that was the part that was that was really hard touching on the the 24 7 thing for me that was a really big new experience i mean i was even on pager duty early in the days because yeah. we had to share it we weren't a big company at the time 30 some odd people you, you can't have the same people getting woken up two three four five o'clock in the morning uh, but at the same time like joel said there's also the aspect in one of the previous episodes in season one i touched on this briefly yes people can't play the game if it's not up and running but they also can't pay us money because with these games being free to play we can't generate revenue without the service being up so it's sort of a bad news bad news situation when it goes down in that sense so yeah i mean for me it was upsetting but um upsetting just because you didn't expect you know we come from such humble days of success during that time to then hit the sort of you know hit some oil in the ground and then not have enough buckets to catch it that was the hard part absolutely i mean and i know that that whole aspect of always on and knowing that rather than selling through a bunch of discs at christmas time you were actually people 24 hours a day could be spending money 99 cents at a time in your game when when we were at 
in the heart of soccer getting and, and knew the game was down it was just like it was hard not to just be mindful of how much money the company was losing by the minute and so when you run a big service on the internet and it that pager goes off you can you can actually be pretty objective about oh how much money is this costing the company mm -hmm. um I, and and it did you know it affected our lives in the sense that i had set up my phone so that when a pager duty would go off it would have a, a special notification sound and i i guess i thought it'd be fun to have it be like one of those submarine klaxons, you know, like Aruga. So I, <laughs> I got the sound guy at, at Hothead to give me a really good sample. But I mean, that that people in my family and my close friends really got to know that sound because I'd be at a, you know, at their at their house on a Saturday night and it would go off and people people knew what that meant. Um, and uh, I don't like that sound anymore. It's kind of triggering, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it's the sound you want to yeah. erase from your memory, right? So yeah, yeah. If if um, if there was somebody out there who is starting. And uh, you know their own gaming company, or uh, going to be making a product that was going to follow along the same lines of what we did. What kind of advice could you give those people in terms of the right way to start to to try to avoid some of the pitfalls we went through? Well, I think it's it's understanding when I talk about when I talked about un thinking, learning like what we were building almost just in hindsight that building something that was going to run as a service is so fundamentally different than building packaged software. Um, so thinking through what your requirements are. You're like, well, this we're gonna build this server component. You think, well, what is it supposed to do? It, how many users um, how many users uh, should be on this at the same time? And, and really think about what it is you're building. And then take the time to test that. Don't assume. Um, we, we did, over the years, develop quite a rigorous um, practice of doing load testing the right way this time um, at Hothead. And and what I always told the teams that were working on it was not, okay, we're, we're going to estimate that at a peak, when this game launches, we're going to have a million active players at the same time or 100,000 active players. So what we'll do is we'll write a simulation that will simulate that many players. And if it doesn't break, then we're good and we can ship. And I, I urge people to not think about it that way. All software breaks and all any engineering thing you build will break within some tolerance, right? It's just designed to accept a certain tolerance. So the way we designed load testing was as much as you can build those simulations and make your game break, make the server fall over and then find out what's the first, where's the first failure point, right? Then you go and fix that, then run another test and see how much further you can press it. And there really is no end to that, right? Because you can always break it. And so I would just tell people like make load testing a priority and then do that as much as you can before you ship to put yourself in as best a spot as you can. But you still can't, you know, you also then need to be ready for for things to go wrong. And so the other advice I would give, I guess, is is to is to um, expect that things will go wrong, have really good systems in place to monitor that and to to uh, uh, to alert you when they do and make sure those are well designed enough that you don't get too many false alarms. You can make it sort of oversensitive so that it's going to you know, it might detect something that might be a problem. Well, then if you've got alarms going off all the time, the people that are on the, that pager rotation, they're going to get desensitized to it. And they're like, ah, it's, they're going off again. It's probably no big deal. And they check. And so really take that seriously about making it so when that alarm goes off, it really does usually mean there's a real problem. And then once you're in that emergency situation where the game's now down and you've got to respond, make sure you are really clear and everybody on the team understands that you've got rules and protocols in place to deal with that because especially when at the beginning when everybody's excited and there's a lot of tension and you know and people aren't used to it you know if you've got 
eight people crowded in a room and everybody's kind of talking excitedly and they're all shouting ideas to try to figure out what's going on. It can be kind of counterproductive. You, you want to set up rules like when there's an emergency, here's the channel on Slack or whatever our chat system is. And this is where we talk about it. And when we're dealing with an emergency, there's no chit chat. We just talk about the situation, you know, and setting up like rules like that can really go a long way to ensuring that when you do have a downtime event, you deal with it professionally and, and effectively and you get it done and uh, get the game back up. Yeah, and I think there is, I mean, uh, I would also throw in um, having a pulse on on your game, your players understanding that they're having problems. I mean, that's something that was always really valuable to us, um, uh, some type of customer support. I think the other thing too, even when you talk about uh, provisioning, understanding there's a cost that comes from that stuff too. So um, knowing or predicting, and it's not easy to do, but understanding what do you think your traffic's gonna be like? Because to, to Joel's point, over provisioning, you're spending too much money, under provisioning, you have a system that falls over. So there's a ton of planning and preparation of course, this stuff is all hindsight now because um, that's, you know, nine years ago, there are boats that we went through it. But I think there's a lot of good lessons there um, uh, that you've thrown on people. Um, One so thing, we'll, uh, oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, like, another lesson would be when you are responding to that emergency, make sure you've built systems that let you get good situational awareness, right? So the pager goes off and maybe it notifies your boss and a bunch of other people on the team or something. So suddenly everybody's going to want to be, if you're on call, they're going to be like, What's wrong and when's it going to be fixed, right? So it might be two in the morning. And I don't know about you, but when I get woken up by my phone at two in the morning, it's I'm a little, I'm not 100%, you know? And, <laughs> and you open your laptop and you're trying to, you need to have good tools that let you put in your face right away. So things that gather together your logs off your server and, and, and um, you know, pull them all together in one place, dashboards that kind of can show you what's happening and other hints and even systems like you kind of alluded to where your customer support team can alert you if there's an increase in um, tickets all of a sudden, right? Yeah, sometimes, yeah, yeah. You, even though you build really good automated systems to detect problems on the server, sometimes the only way we knew there was a problem was like a whole bunch of players told us. And yeah, and the one thing we have we have still at hot hit right now is, you know, people have to sleep, and so we we use uh, companies around the clock, and so we always have people that are watching our current products because, again, to Joel's point, we have to know if something goes down. I mean, the the, the hope every night is that you just sleep through the night and you wake up and everything is just dandy and, and the show goes on, but it's not always the case. And um, but at the same point, if, if a handful of people are having a problem, there's no sense dialing 911 because we can deal with that in the morning. The service is still running. So there's a lot of nuancing to figuring out when to raise a flag, when not to raise a flag. Um, yeah, you don't want to be in the situations where, you know, the boy cries wolf too many times because then to your point, people turn a blind eye to it. And so it's, there's a ton of learning there, but there's already a lot of good information I think that you've thrown out there. So if you're out there thinking of getting into this and these are the types of requirements your games need, so definitely take stock of some of these ideas we'll take a short break now and then we come back we'll talk about doing things right the first time because we actually were under a lot of stress for good reason because we were fighting for our lives as a company but it's fair to say with the stress that comes from the video game industry sometimes doing things right the first time will save you a lot of headaches later on down the road we'll be back and we'll jump into that right after this short break Thank you. 
You're listening to Insert Coins. I'm Mike Englehart. We have Joel DeYoung with us here today. We're talking games as a service, uh, focusing around an experience we had back in the day called Soccer Geddon. And we're into the second of three parts in today's podcast where we're talking about doing things right the first time. And in working in video games, just like a lot of jobs, it's not unique to video games, but there's definitely a lot of time stress in video games when you need to get something out the expectations of delivering a product when revenue is meant to come in. In this situation with Soccer Geddon and, and what we were facing at Hothead, we were fighting for our lives. We needed to have something uh, land and be successful. So the delivery of this game that Joel and I were, were working on was important that it came in at a certain time. And so in, in this segment now we're going to dive into is, is talking about uh, the challenges of of building quality engineering solutions when you have these deadlines in front of you and how can you find that right balance so deadlines joel we were up against it we had a very finite amount of time to get this game done we were doing something we've never done before looking back at it you know what what would you have done differently if you could go back in a time machine and and we're working on big win soccer right now here today well, we did have, like you point out, a, a unique set of circumstances that really made us, you and me, certainly feel the pressure. Um, I, that happens a lot. And it, it seems to me it happens a lot in video games. There's potentially lots of reasons why, um, whether you're working on a licensed game and you've got to get the game out in time for the movie to come out, or you've, uh, or there's other circumstances, contractual or whatever, with the publisher that you know you really make the deadline an immovable object. Um, there's going to be lots of pressure, but this is something that I think true in software development in general, um, and that comes directly against some of the the things that people who build software for a living and who are software professionals say you need to do in order to build good software, in order to build good systems, um, whether it's really taking seriously and, and being rigorous about your requirements gathering up, up front or um, making sure you've got good tests built into your code so that you can be ensure that it works and, and you've, you're testing in a variety of different ways. Um, and and when it comes to things like building these, these web client server systems like we've been talking about um that you're you're thinking about load and you're thinking about scaling and how that's going to work um and so looking back on it i think what i realized was you know you're, there's always going to be points where you're, you're not going to build the perfect thing um you're always going to be making kind of compromises mm -hmm. what you can call it cutting corners if you will but um, there's this concept we have in in software engineering um some of your, your listeners might have heard of called technical debt so it's this metaphor that if you do cut a corner, um, it's exactly the same as taking a little bit more time and getting it done right in terms of like, does the game work? Does the system work? But if you cut the corner and you do it fast um, without doing it right, then you're incurring a little bit of technical debt. Eh, no big deal, just a little bit. But if you keep doing that and it becomes part of the culture of your team and it's the culture of your company and, and you do it a lot, it, just like real debt, it can, without you realizing it, a little at a time, it can get out of control. Mm -hmm. And then eventually it's so crushing that the whole system becomes unstable or can't support itself. And you really have to step back and say, wow, we've got so many problems in this system. We need to, we got to, we got to rewrite it. We got to rewrite major parts of it. We got to, we have to go spend a bunch of money that we didn't even know we were going to have to spend. And so it can be really insidious and, and build up on you. Now, with video games, like I was saying, if you're just shipping a box product or like shipping a disc and it's just ship it and forget it and you don't have, you're not running a service, it's, it maybe is not that big a deal. Um, but 
I realized once I realized we had sh fundamentally shifted the business into this service model that um, the way I like to put it is that the, that debt has an interest rate and the interest rate just went up. Mm -hmm. Because if you think about it, anything you put into that game, whether it's a line of code or a, a piece of art or something, it it is the lifetime of that thing is just going to be way longer. Because even games with a moderate success, as you know, like they can live for a decade or more. Yeah, I mean, those big so, games are still they're still living today, right? They're still that's right today. Yeah, and so once I realized that, it occurred to me that we really got a part of becoming a service provider meant that we have to be mindful and, and if at where possible try to measure that if we can it's still a pretty difficult problem measure how much technical debt we're incurring but also i tried to to talk to the programmers and other people at hothead about just thinking about their job in that way when when they're making those day-to-day -day calls about if they're just going to hack something quickly or they're going to try to do it in a way that's going to stand the test of time yep there might be more of a reason to 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 do it in that more uh, robust way um and i and i wish i would have had a better appreciation for that when we got started for sure and, and i think you know it's funny even at, at hothead today um you know and speaking of the famous robert um who i interact with a lot every day now um we still talk about technical debt and we still are looking under the couch and under the proverbial rug and finding technical debt from years gone by and it's the kind of thing where the one thing I'll say from a production standpoint is you're going to be under all sorts of pressure from different places. And, you know, our uh, our uh, commander in chief, you know, he's always, you know, he's, he's one step removed. He's, he's not on the ground on the ground floor in terms of everything that happens day to day. But it's like, oh, you know, it's just a line of code. It'll just take a day. <laughs> it's all everything's so easy when you're not actually in the trench. And what I'll say is me looking back and, and we do this a lot more now today and i think it's very healthy is pushing back and saying look let's take the right amount of time to get this right it will have more benefits down the road there's always going to be a rush because people want to do things as fast as possible but to your point you then have to go back and clean up everything or or pay that interest off at a certain point in time and we've come through some things you know in the last six months at hothead where we're when you thought a game was done it's not actually done we actually have to go back and finish paying all that interest off to your point and you're like wait a second i thought we were finished with those features well no we weren't we, we were finished in terms of getting it stood up but now we have to build them correctly and that that is means you're not working on something else it means people can't put their attention to to building new features you have to put new heads on the project and it's very easy to get seduced into that you know, let's just get it done quickly. And to your point, you know, I'm not a technical person, but that has really rang true with me in the last little while, the importance of doing things right the first time, because all that interest, it adds up and it ends up costing you in the long run. Yeah. And I, I, I've, it's made me look at my own job as helping people like the CEO or like um, people like that are in your role understand what that true cost is because you're still living in the real world it's not like oh i'm never going to hack anything again and so from here on out i don't want to do a soccer again again so i'm just going to build the most perfect mm -hmm. well-engineered software systems because that's not realistic you're always having to make choices and compromise and 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 put your priorities and efforts where they should make the biggest impact um but when the the realities of a deadline or whatever are are i can feel the pushing the project in a certain way 
I felt my job was to try to help everybody understand as objectively as possible what risks it meant we were taking on, what it could mean for, say, failure of the service or challenges with the service in the coming weeks and months, and what we might have to do, uh, how much effort we're going to have to do in the future to kind of go back and fix this. And the answer still then might be, okay, well, let's go do that. But at least then it's a more informed decision. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a, I moved on from Hothead recently, and, and after working there 14 years and then building up all kinds of games and systems, it's, you know, it's a lot. And now I'm at a, a small startup and we're building, we're just building our platform from scratch. And so it's a real kind of fast moving, exciting, like, well, you know, we're just, we can do anything and we're, we're going to just build the most awesome thing. And I've always got in the back of my mind when that pager is first going to go off mm-hmm. and when I hear the bad news that the whole system's gone down and now the, that the business relies on. And so it's making me make choices now about monitoring systems and and the kinds of things that I've talked about and making sure those things are in place. And I've, I've gotten a few funny looks like, what are you talking about? Like, we're just, we don't have hardly any users and you know, it's like, this is no big deal. But yeah, it's not a big deal until it's gonna be. And so it's finding that right balance of being, continuing to be like fast moving and flexible that is what you should benefit from when you're a small startup. But but also knowing that we got to put the right things in place to to be ready for when we're going to need the system to be really robust and and work well with lots and lots of users. And I think that's the, especially in in anything mobile, I think that's the delicate balance that's out there because to your point, if you spend all the time creating something and trying to make it perfect and airtight, somebody could come along and, and steal the idea or steal your lunch in terms of what you were working on. Yeah. And you also have to find out if something just works at the end of the day, do people want this, uh, is this desirable? But at the same time, you also can't ignore that and go too far the other way because it will bite you in the butt. So I think that's the that's the challenge. Um, and that might be also one of those things between you know back in the day when we worked on box products, long cycles, you have time to kind of plan everything, time to get everything right. And again, you're, the idea you're building, like the Simpsons products you referenced back in the day, well, that's no one's gonna steal that, right? Cause it's a, it's a, it's a one-off property that is gonna be slapped on this game. So sometimes these things are at odds with each other, but there is that balance and trying to navigate how the mobile world, world works can be definitely challenging um, at the end of the day. Yeah, and I think that um, I know in myself, and I think a lot of engineers suffer from a tendency to want to over-engineer things. It's fun, right? And you want to be proud of your work and you want to build something that's going to be awesome. When you're building something in the realities of a business and you've got to, you've got to support the realities of that business, you, you, you know, it's, it's actually better if you can build something, don't build this awesome system that's going to do everything and do it really well build something small right you know even just from a game design point of view you know we talk about minimum viable product get get something out with less features early you're going to learn so much more it applies to engineering features as well like just just make something simple work great and then decide what you're going to do work with the team to decide what you're going to do next if you fall into the trap of saying well we're gonna we're gonna make sure we can support a million users um and you're gonna build something awesome for that you might you might just run out of money and never be able to ship anything anyway. So, you know, like you got to be realistic for sure. So I think the the takeaway here is doing it right the first time can mean many different things depending on what you're trying to do. Stand something up quick, make sure you're going to build something that's going to stand the test of time. And there's lots of good takeaways that uh, Joel has throw out there. We'll move on after this short break to the final section of today's show where we talk about the values of failure, which all good success comes from failure and the things that we've learned from the soccer getting experience right here on Insert Coins right after this. 
Welcome back to Insert Coins. Joel DeYoung here with us today as we talk Soccer Geddon Games as a Service, a really awesome learning experience from our past uh, back at Hothead Games. And now we're going to get into the third and final segment in today's show and the values of failure when it comes to Soccer Geddon. Uh, the personal lessons that we've learned going through that experience, the hardships, the growth, overcoming obstacles, facing fear. And as you've already heard in today's show, it's definitely played into both of what we're doing today. But Joel, looking back, what are the things that come to mind when you think of failure that you endured, we endured together and, and uh, how that affected you? Well, you know, stepping away from it and looking back at Soccer Geddon, it, it really was one of the most important experiences of my life in that it, it, um, it changed the way I look at a lot of things, um, especially thinking about failure. Like it, it really was a, a very difficult time. I know you can start to be nostalgic and, and mythologize a little bit, like the fact that, oh, we were we ate a lot of pizza and drank a lot of Coke and we were back in the room <laughs> and look at us, we did it. And you can feel proud that we kind of came through it. But it was, you know, for many years, it was very, it was, like I said, people liked laughing about the name Soccer Geddon, but it, it was difficult to even like talk about and to face that, that we had the kinds of things that we had done and the kind of risk that that put the business at. I mean, I mean, it's funny because um, to this day, like during that time, uh, you know, I've got a great relationship with Robert. We're friends. Uh, we still are today, even though we're not working together day to day. Um, but back at Soccer Geddon, if my phone rang and it was Robert, that's uh, not good, right? Mm-hmm. And and just that fact would raise your blood pressure. And so we we started a little protocol where the first thing out of our mouths is everything's fine. In other words, like you can just put out of your mind that 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 this is a bad phone call and that something's gone wrong. Now there were a few times, even years after we had established that protocol, I remember one time he phoned me and he was like, and first thing he said, I said, hello. He's like, everything's not fine. <laughs> it was definitely a problem. But, but you know, we, and we stay, if it's funny, even though we don't work together now, we still do that, but it's, um, and it, it was, it was tough because, um, you know, we tried to be reasonable, rational about it. Like let's triage, like you talked about an emergency room, right? Let's triage the problem. Let's pick the things that we can make the big, that will make the biggest impact early. Let's let's think about the things we know. What are the things we don't know? What are some creative things we can, can we offload the things we don't understand very well to some, some external companies, it's just things like that. And we, we were pretty methodical going through it, but it was very emotional as well. Like I remember, right, it was kind of ironic because right at that time, there was a very high profile game that came out at the same time from a very large publisher with a very important license. I won't mention the game, but it was funny because at the same time, they had exactly the same problem. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I I did keep on my desk beside me as we were late into the night working on this, that game. And I would, every few hours, I would try to open it. And it did make me feel a little better to know that somebody else out there was having the same problem. Oh, yeah, a company with thousands of people <laughs> was having the same yeah. problem that 35 people on Great yeah. Northern Way in Vancouver are having, right? So, But it was, I remember, you know, I, I remember it as a time where everybody in the company was very supportive. Um, uh, you and, and other people on the management team and on the team and, and, and up to the CEO, they were quite supportive. But I, I could tell as people came by, they'd poke their head in the office and they'd want to know, like, how's it going? Should mm-hmm. I feel better about things? And and really, like, when's it going to work? And when's this is this all going to be OK? And I could offer some information about what we were doing, but it, of course it would have been really uh, too much detail, and and it, I didn't really have those fundamental answers. And I, you know, deep down, my fear was that I was at some point just going to have to say, you know, walk into our CEO's office and just be like, I don't know, 
like I give up and we should burn this down and we should start over from scratch, right? And um, and facing that fear was like, and, and, and really kind of garnering up the courage to just press on and and was something that I personally found rather difficult. I, I've been very fortunate in my life to to have been fairly successful at, at things that I did. Even from a kid, like I was pretty good in school and and it, and it formed kind of my personality and who I am. So I got pretty far without having to face some of those real difficult times that I, I know, and I feel very fortunate for that. But in a way I was like, it's something that, um, really changed my life in the way that I view failure and tribulations and trials because um, I came out of that um, really having a, a, a very deep and uh, kind of visceral appreciation for the fact that a failure is, is something you can look at as a gift because it's it's inevitable. You are going to experience it. And when you do, it's the best way to learn a lesson and to, and to be better. And all of the, the, the hard times and the failures that you've had up to today, um, they're all a part of making you who you are. Right? And, so, yeah. and, that, and that changed, that really changed the perspective. And it's over the years, as I've looked back on it, it's really been amazing to me to think about how my first professional experience of doing a web service platform for a game really could have such a profound impact on, on how I view myself and the world around me. Yeah, and I think those you know, a couple takeaways for me going through that experience. Well, one, I'd say, like, without Soccer Geddon, the way Hothead is set up today in terms of our servers, uh, our backend technology, like Soccer Geddon paved the way. It, it is the thing that everything revolves around now because that experience sort of set us on our way. And a lot of the things that you've mentioned here today, elasticity, uh, how to deal with traffic, um, being able to use the services that are out there, you know, who we're connected with as a company. It, it, soccer Geddon is really the the starting point for that. You know, luckily it had a happy ending, right? So Big Win Soccer still worked. Uh, the series was successful and, and we're able to look on look back on it fondly and know that we got through those hard times and we're able to, to learn from them. But I agree with that. All, all failures, they do breed success and they do breed the next steps in, in where you're going. Touching on the point about being supportive and it's good to know that our uh, constant visits and uh, <laughs> you know, I, I kid you not, we were back there sometimes probably what felt like every 10 minutes, it was probably every two minutes when it was really bad, um, especially in the beginning. And a funny, funny thing, what we did in the game too, is we would constantly change the server error message that would pop up. And we would put things in like 26 pizzas, 14 cans of Coke, 96 chocolate bars later, and we're still working hard on this to try to communicate to the audience because it was the only <laughs> thing we had to let people know that there's stuff going on back here. We just haven't solved it yet. But in yeah, terms luckily of- we, had, we had thought to put that in and, and it, I always felt like it was like a little message in the bottle we could send to these people. We're alive and we are, it's not like it's just dead. <laughs> no one cares. We, there are real people who are working on this. <laughs> And so, you know, we gave you that support and, but I would say like looking back on it, you know, there were definitely times where you could tell coming back as often as we were was, was wearing on people. And it makes sense looking back. Like, of course, we all wanted the service to be up, but at the same time, using that emergency room analogy, they don't have people in, in, in a surgery room cheering on the doctors, bothering the doctors. You have to let them do their work. And in situations like this, if you face something like this, 
let them know that you're there for them and say, hey, if there's anything we can get you guys, if you need food, you need this, you need that, let us know. And I would say just leave it at that. You know, maybe you check in periodically to see if there's anything they need because they might not know to ask for something. But don't don't bother them too much you know, because it's not going to let them do their job. And so that's been a big lesson for me that I still carry with me today when things do go down at Hothead or there's problems. I just trust that the right people are doing what they need to do. And when they know, I'll know. And I think that's a very important thing. Of course, the situation was high stress at the time, but um, I definitely have taken that with me forward in my career. And then the second one be, would be taking the extra time. And we still talk about that now today at Hothead. And it's, it's constantly a week to week topic that we discuss. I think we're continuing to evolve on that topic. And I will say that looking back, I don't know if we could have taken the extra time because of the situation we were in with big wind soccer, but if you can afford the extra time, and again, the extra time has to be relevant to what you're trying to do. If a little bit of time is gonna help you avoid that interest that Joel says, cause you have to pay the debt collector at some point, I would say taking that time will, will benefit you in the long run. Of course, you have to play it out situationally against what you're doing, but doing things right the first time, stubbing your toe, banging your knee on the side of the bed, you want to avoid that as much as possible because it just will catch up to you in the long run. Yeah, cool. it's uh, it, it's important to, uh, to, to really understand how failure is a part of it. Like when I think back on the, the architecture we had for that game, it's looking back on it now, it's just so not ideal the way I created it and smarter people than me at Hothead since then have evolved the server architecture um, for all subsequent games uh, in much better ways but I wouldn't be making the architectures I'm making today in the way I am without having done that without having gone through that and then really seeing and practice how it how it played out so hopefully everybody who tuned in this week got a chance to learn something new about the industry. It's always nice having these segments where we can talk about the world of video games. It's a very specialty industry where not a lot of people know what goes on behind the scenes. And if you're looking to start something up that is a game as a service, you've gotten a lot of insight here from an experience that uh, Joel and I went through a long time ago. I want to thank you, Joel, for coming on the show today. It was awesome having you on here and definitely we'll uh, have you back in the future. And there's lots of topics we can definitely kick around. Oh, it was my pleasure. Thanks for the chance to come and reminisce a bit. Okay, awesome. Thanks for Thanks for being on the show today. And that'll bring episode two of season two to a close. Special thanks to Joel DeYoung for stopping by the show today. It was great to have him on this episode. Hopefully, you've learned something about the word soccer geddon, running games as a services, and some of the differences between selling box products versus running services, which is really where most of the video game world is heading today. If you have any feedback on the show, ideas for an upcoming episode, or just want to shoot the breeze about video games, you can reach me at insertcoinstalk at gmail.com or you can head over to Twitter and you can reach me. My handle over there is at the big win Mike. That's at the big win Mike. And yeah, that's connected to the big win sports days we talked about today. Stay safe wherever you are. Enjoy the summer as it starts to wind down. And of course, happy gaming. We'll talk to everybody next time. <laughs>